0: Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.
1: Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. The signs
2: of the times clearly indicate that we are on the threshold of what's going to be one of the most terrible times of what is called the Great Tribulation. This is Mark Taylor. Welcome to today's Crosspoint. David Reagan is my guest on today's program. David is the founder of Lamb and Lion Ministries with a radio broadcast that we air right here on KNEO. Dr. David Reagan, thanks for being with us again here on Cross and uh, Boy, you have written a really timely book. Uh, I know you've done a lot of books. We've talked to you on a lot of your work that you've done. Of course, you do a lot of work there through the Lamb and Lion Ministries, a program in the radio that we air here. But a man, the man of lawlessness, and you, you say in the preference of the book, you say, I never expected to write a book about the Antichrist. This book is an attempt to bring about some balance to the subject. The Antichrist is a major topic of end times, and the Bible prophecy, and as such, should not be ignored. So what prompted you now, do you believe, that you really needed to put this, the man of lawlessness, out?
0: First of all, let me just say that I appreciate very much the opportunity to be on your wonderful program today. I've enjoyed doing it in the past, and I praise God for the outreach that He's given you and the many souls that you're able to impact by radio. Now, with regard to that particular book... um, Uh, The reason I wrote it was because I got so fed up with uh, all of the wild and crazy speculation that I kept running across with regard to the Antichrist. One of the things that uh, we determined at the very beginning of this ministry when we established it in 1980, 40 years ago, was that we were never going to get engaged in sensationalism and wild speculation, uh, which is characteristic. Of the field of Bible prophecy, and it's so characteristic of the field that many pastors have washed their hands of it, won't have anything to do with it because they say it's just a, a place for wild fanatics to uh, uh, guess uh, who the Antichrist is and uh, and that sort of thing, set dates for the coming of Jesus. So we've done everything we can to avoid sensationalism, that sort of stuff, and. Uh, that's one of the things that's characterized the uh, writings about the Antichrist, people speculating about who the Antichrist is going to be. And I think the Bible makes it very clear that we're not going to know who the Antichrist is until after we have been raptured out of here. The Antichrist is not going to be revealed until after that time. So I don't think we're ever going to know who it is uh, before uh, the rapture occurs. Uh, give me an example of what I'm talking about. A fella sent me a book. Oh, probably... 15, 20 years ago that was almost 400 pages long, and it was a book trying to prove that Prince Charles is the Antichrist. Now, this is a very intelligent guy, and he is a very good writer, and, but he pulled something that was awful. Uh, he he the, the first chapter of the book was a, a chapter that gave an overview of end-time Bible prophecy, and it was just as... Uh, you know, a very fine overview of end-time Bible prophecy. And he sent that one chapter to a whole lot of well-known Bible prophecy teachers like Dave Hunt and Ed and people like that, high-quality people. And based on that one chapter, they endorsed his book. In fact, they wrote very enthusiastic um, uh, reviews of his book, but they only read one chapter. And then he wrote the rest, and all the rest was trying to prove that Prince Charles was the Antichrist. So this book comes out with this crazy thesis, and he has all these wonderful names endorsing it. It convinced me that you should never endorse a book till you've read the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I called him and I said, you know, uh, this is just unbelievable that uh, that you would write this kind of book. And I said, of all people in the world, why would you think that... that that Prince Charles is going to be the Antichrist. He comes across as such a a weasel, and he said, "Oh well that that's part of the that's part of the scheme of the devil." The, he says the Antichrist is always going to appear like a meek and humble and and weasely type of guy until it's time for him to be revealed, and he's going to be like uh, Superman who gets into the phone booth and takes his clothes off and comes out as Superman. I said, oh, I see. (laughs) So anyway, that that was the kind of stuff that I just got fed up with. It it seemed like that any time a person appeared on the scene that someone didn't like, they would try to prove that person is going to be the Antichrist. Uh, Ronald Reagan Uh, his three names added up to six letters in each name, so that he had to be the Antichrist, or it was going to be Bill Clinton, or it was going to be, you know, uh, uh, Barack Obama. Anybody you didn't like, somehow or other, you figured out was going to be the Antichrist. So that's what finally motivated me to write a book that I thought would be more sane and down-to-earth and and biblical in nature rather than speculative.
2: Now, in putting this book together, you have uh, 22 Bible prophecy experts who responded to some of your questions about the Antichrist. And so they're in there in this book, you know, from their responses, that kind of help us get an overview from different people.
0: Yes, I did two books that way, one that I wrote on the Science of the Times, and then this one. These were uh, people that are very responsible, these 22, uh, very responsible people in the field of Bible prophecy, and I asked them quite a number of questions. And so that's a good section of the book where I summarize uh, their responses uh, to those questions, and uh, I think that gives uh, people a better feel of uh, of what the Bible really has to say about the Antichrist. I have to tell you a funny story that happened to me one time. Back uh, in uh, for twenty two years, we were on the radio before we transferred to television in two thousand and two, <laughs> and one time we decided to spend a week talking about the Antichrist and when I say we I mean my colleague at that time for 11 years was a man wonderful man named Dennis Pollack so Dennis and I were doing these radio programs together and Dennis turned to me one day and he said David I just got this letter from a guy who is uh, trying to prove that so-and-so is the Antichrist, and he's got four pages of calculations to prove that this guy is the Antichrist. And he said, I'd like to do just a program on that. And uh, so I said, okay, you do it alone. So he did a program one day on that, and and he went through what this guy had to say and showed how preposterous it was. And he said, now, folks, you know, I can take the same sort of arguments that he used, and I can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the little purple dragon, which was on TV at that time, I forget what his name was, but it was a kid's program, he said, I can prove that little purple dragon is the Antichrist. So he started going through all these mathematical computations of the name of this little purple dragon and proving that he was the Antichrist. Well, a few days later, we got a letter from a guy who was outraged. He said, I can't believe that you would get on the radio and try to prove that the little purple dragon is the Antichrist. The only part of the program he heard was the second part, where we were making this satirical comment about the little purple Antichrist. But that's the kind of stuff that goes on in Bible prophecy all the time and gives Bible prophecy a bad name.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably talking about Barney. Barney was that little purple dragon, I think. That yeah, used there you to. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, that's true. You you also talk about in the book here, uh, in the place called a, a time of unparalleled horror. You say the idea that the antichrist will rise to world power through shrewdness and and skilled diplomacy is based on what Daniel said in chapter eight. Uh, of Daniel, and then you say the verses say that a king will arise who is skilled and intrigued and who will succeed through the practice of deceit. Well, then the Antichrist has got to be a pretty interesting person.
0: Yes, I think he will be a very charismatic, very dynamic person. He will be empowered by Satan, and so he will have supernatural knowledge, and he will appear to be the most intelligent uh, politician that's ever come on the scene. Uh, and, And he will rise to power in Europe. Uh, using his diplomacy, his uh, skills, uh, oratorical skills, the dynamism of his personality and all. When you read about the Antichrist in in a lot of prophetic literature and you read about uh, his rise to power, people often uh, make the point that because of all these qualities, uh, the whole world will just be in awe of him and the whole world will bow down and worship him. I don't believe that for a moment. Um, I think that that's the way he will gain power in Europe, but not over the world because uh, you have to keep in mind that Africa and Latin America fought for 250 years to deliver themselves from European colonialism, and uh, they're not going to turn around and bow down to a European leader and say, come and and rule us. They're just not going to do that. Uh, Neither is the Islamic world. The Islamic world is not going to bow down to some European uh, leader uh, who uh, has started some new uh, church, uh, probably uh, uh, some sort of amalgamation of Christianity plus other religions. But they're not going to bow down to that person. He's going to have to conquer them. And I think that's what the first half of the book of Revelation is all about. It tells about the fact that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, uh, that a world war is launched. It's going to be World War III, and uh, it says that uh, he's going to uh, conquer uh, uh, you know, a fourth of the earth in these uh, seal judgments, and it says that uh, uh, that will then morph, I believe what it teaches, it will morph into the trumpet judgments uh, over in chapters 8 and 9, where it begins to to look like that the conventional world war that begins in chapter 6 of Revelation morphs into a nuclear war in chapters 8 and 9, because then it talks about one-third of the earth being burned up and all. And I think that corresponds to the fact that uh, in the uh, book of Luke, uh, uh, Luke, and I think it's Luke chapter uh, 21, uh, he mentions something very interesting that Jesus said in his Olivet discourse that's not reported in Matthew, and that is the. Uh, uh, point where he says in verse 26, men will faint from fear and over the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I think that uh, the war of the Antichrist to take over the world will definitely morph into a nuclear uh, uh, conflagration. Uh, We've never had weapons that we haven't used. I think that uh, God's hand has restrained us from using nuclear weapons since they were used against uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but God's hand is going to be lifted during the tribulation period, and he's going to let man's sin uh, multiply, and I think man will use those weapons. So I think that by the middle of the tribulation, both through a, 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 a conventional war and a nuclear war, The Antichrist will have conquered the whole earth, the first one ever to do that. And it says that point blank in the book of Revelation. It says that he will conquer every tribe, every nation uh, on the uh, face of the earth. Uh, That's in Revelation chapter 13 and uh, verse 8. And he will do so with military force. And at that point, after he's conquered the whole world, I think he will go to Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. And that's when the Jews will revolt against him because they will not accept him for a moment. As, uh, the, uh, and as the as uh, the Messiah, so uh, I think the first half of the tribulation is going to be one of constant warfare, and that goes against what many many Bible prophecy teachers teach, because many teach that the first half of the tribulation is going to be peace, and only the second half is going to be a time of warfare. Well, I don't think that's true at all, and, I, and the way they get that is they is that. Uh, He guarantees the peace of Israel during the first half of the tribulation, and Jesus refers to the second half of the tribulation as the great tribulation. So they say, well, that means that all of this war is going to be in the second half of the tribulation. No, not at all. The reason Jesus referred to the second half of the tribulation as the great tribulation is because he was speaking to a Jewish audience, and the second half of the tribulation is going to be the time of their persecution. They're going to be protected by the Antichrist during the first half, but the second half he's going to turn on them with a vengeance and try to annihilate every Jew on planet Earth. So I think the entire period of the tribulation is going to be one of an ending warfare. First, the warfare to take over the world, then the warfare to annihilate the Jewish people.
2: Now the book is is put into five parts, and then each part had its own chapters. Then in part one as you get out of that first chapter going into the second, you say in that conclusion part, you say God is serious. The tribulation will be a a graphic expression of how serious God is about mankind's rebellion against him. And so this is going to be a real serious time. This isn't going to be like we think we're seeing things kind of get bad. Now it's going to be a lot worse than that.
0: That's true. Uh, This is going to be a period of the pouring out of God's wrath. And, uh, You know, sometimes God uses, uh, does that directly, and sometimes he uses uh, intermediaries, uh, like uh, when he brought uh, the Babylonians against uh, Judah to punish them, or when he brought the Assyrians against uh, the northern nation of Israel to punish them. Sometimes he uses intermediaries. Sometimes he even uses Satan, as he did with Job, and he just says, okay, you can touch Job, and you can't take his life, but you can take everything around him. So God sometimes pours out His wrath directly. Sometimes it's indirectly, and then sometimes it's what's called abandonment wrath, and that's where God just steps back, lowers all the hedge of protection, and says, "Okay, I'm going to let sin multiply. If you want to live in a foul nest, then I'm just going to let you, you uh, know, let you multiply your sins." And He steps back and abandons. And I think in a lot of the tribulation, some of it is the direct wrath of God. Certainly the last part is. Some of it is indirect wrath of God. Some of it is abandonment wrath. But all of it comes from God. And there's many purposes for that tribulation period. One is certainly to pour out his wrath upon the Gentile nations that have revolted against him and are cursing him and blaspheming him. But the fundamental purpose of the whole tribulation is to bring a remnant of the Jewish people to salvation. This seven-year period of the tribulation is part of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 9, he lists six purposes that God is going to accomplish during that 490 years. And only one of those has been accomplished so far, and that's the atonement for sins. But the other five have yet to be accomplished. And what happened is at the cross, God called a timeout like you'd call a timeout in a football game. And uh, we've been in that timeout ever since then. But it's going to start back. When the tri- when the Antichrist signs that treaty with Israel to protect Israel, the, the tribulation will begin. That'll be the start of it. And uh, during that next seven years, God's going to accomplish those other five purposes among the Jewish people. He's what he's basically going to do during the second half of the tribulation is he's going to bring the Antichrist against them with such fury that uh, they will come to the end of themselves. The whole world will be against them. There will be nobody for them. They will not be able to turn to the United States or to anyone else. In the Old Testament times, they always ran to Egypt Today, the day they run to us. They will have no one to run to. And that remnant that's alive at the end of the tribulation will finally come to the end of themselves. And they will look upon him whom they've pierced and weep and will and mourn and receive Jesus, Yeshua as their Messiah. That's the fundamental purpose of the tribulation. And, uh, Even Jesus said, Jesus said, I will not return to this earth. He said this point blank. I will not return to this earth until the Jewish people are willing to say, Baruch, Habab, Hashem, Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's because of that, I always get a little amused and rather upset with people who believe in replacement theology and say there's no purpose left for the Jewish people in the future. God's washed his hands of them. The, p- the church has replaced Israel. Well, not according to Paul in Romans 3 and Romans 9 through 11, and not according to Jesus who said, I'm not coming back until the Jewish people say, Baruch habab Adonai. So, yes, God still has a purpose for the Jewish people.
2: And we are talking today with Dr. David R. Reagan. Talking about the man of lawlessness. Stay with us. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today, Dr. David R. Reagan. Dr. Reagan has done a lot, A lot of you folks, know him from Lamb and Lion Ministries. We air that program on the radio here. But he, we've talked to him in the past. He's written a lot of books. This newest one, The Man of Lawlessness. Dr. Reagan, tell people how they can find out more about your ministry in this newest book.
0: Yes, uh, the best way to find out about our ministry is uh, through our website. Uh, we have a website at uh, Lamb Lion L-A-M-B, L-I-O-N, Lambline, no and in the middle, just lambline.com. Or you can type my name in, that'll lead to it. Go there. We have a uh, one of our staff members, Nathan Jones, is on that uh, website eight hours a day. And he can answer any question you have about Bible prophecy. We also have uh, videos that you, c- in fact, we have a high-speed search engine. You can type a word in like rapture, tribulation, antichrist, and videos will come up also articles that you can use to do research. And then if that doesn't answer your questions, you can send a direct question to Nathan. We also uh, archive our television program there. We have a television program weekly called Christ in Prophecy. We archive it there so you can go there and watch the television programs on demand. There's no charge for any of that. Also, another thing that I would mention is that we have a bi-monthly magazine that's usually about 28 pages long, and the magazine is all about Bible prophecy, and you can get it free of charge uh, digitally by email. Uh, Just go to our website and sign up for it. If you want a hard copy, there is a charge, I think, of $25 a year, but uh, most people uh, get it by email. We have over 90,000 subscribers right now to that magazine. And we just put out a special edition of it concerning the pandemic. So um, the people might want to go and, and uh, get a copy of that.
2: All right. Now, back in the next part of this book here, you've got part two of the book, and it's an induction to the forum. Now, this is the different people that you brought in, and you brought in a lot of people that we've had on the air here before, like uh, Gary Fraser, Ed Heinzen, Mark Hitchcock, Dave Hunt. Uh, The list just goes on. Of course, Nathan Jones there that works with you, and we've had him on here as well before. Ron Rhodes, Chuck Mishler, other guys like this and different ones in Bible prophecy ladies as well. Can you kind of give us an overview of that chapter of what what that's about and and what they contribute and how they contribute, what kind of questions you would ask them?
0: Uh, I asked them a series of questions. I don't remember how many questions it is. Do can you tell me by looking at the book there how many questions I asked? Because there's quite a number.
2: Yeah, there is quite a, n- a number, you know. But you know, okay. One of the questions was: Is the Antichrist alive today? That's a very common question.
0: And that's a that's probably one of the most frequently asked yeah. questions. I, I get it all the time: Is the Antichrist alive today? I sometimes startle people by saying yes, definitely, beyond a doubt, he's alive. And they said, Well, I thought you didn't speculate about that. I said, I don't speculate how it, who, who it is. But I believe he's alive. And here's why I believe that. I believe that the Antichrist, that the Satan knows Bible prophecy. And I say that because it tells us in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 12 that in the middle of the tribulation, when the Antichrist, uh, in the middle of the tribulation, uh, the, that Satan will try to take uh, the throne of God one more time. And the archangel Michael and his armies will fight against Satan and his armies in the supernatural, and that Satan will be thrown to earth and not allowed any more access to heaven. And it says, this is in the middle of the tribulation, and it says that he comes down to earth knowing that he only has a short time. That's an indication that Satan knows Bible prophecy. But what Satan does not know is, is the timing of it. He doesn't know, for example, when the rapture is going to occur and when the tribulation is going to begin. I think that because he does not know the timing, that Satan has always had an antichrist candidate throughout history. And when that candidate would die, he would have another candidate ready. And when that one would die, he'd have another candidate ready. I think he's always had a candidate ready so that the moment The rapture occurs. He can empower his candidate to become the antichrist. So, in that respect, I believe that there is that the antichrist is alive today. That Satan has a person picked out and ready to empower the moment that the rapture occurs.
2: Yeah, and out of that, because you're using 22 different uh, people on your forum, and 20 20 said yes, and two said no, or not necessarily. Now, another question you asked, could the Antichrist be Muslim? And in that you have, well, I'll tell after you give your answer of what the results were in that as well.
0: Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because what I do is I ask those questions and then I give a summary of the results to tell you the different opinions of the people. I, and that's I found that very, very interesting myself. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, is hotly debated today. And that is that uh, a fellow several years ago wrote a book, a very fine writer, very fine, uh, and wrote a very, very convincing book uh, that the uh, Antichrist was going to be a Muslim. And a lot of people jumped on that immediately and said, well, that makes sense because the Muslims, you know, are trying to fight Christianity and all, and he's just going to empower some Muslim and he'll become the Antichrist. Well, the problem with that, there are a lot of problems with that book. In fact, I've written extensively on this. Uh, but one of the uh problems is that in the entire book there was not one mention not one mention of Daniel chapter 9 verses 26 and 27 which say point blank that the antichrist is going to come from the people who destroy the temple and the people who destroyed the temple in 70 AD were the romans and uh, uh, so uh, bible prophecy experts have always said that some person who has a Roman ancestry is going to become the Antichrist. I mean, this is what it says. And he didn't even mention that in the book. It's as if he didn't either, he didn't know about the prophecy or he simply decided to ignore it. So I challenged him on that. And so then after a while, he came back and said, well, I've done some research and I've discovered that uh, a lot of those Roman troops uh, were really recruited from the Middle East and they were Middle Easterners, and so a lot of those today now are Muslims. So uh, actually, uh, people of Muslim heritage uh, destroyed the temple. I said, "Come on, give me a break." First of all, it's not true that uh, most of those soldiers were from recruited from the Middle East. Furthermore, even if it were true, it would be irrelevant because it was the Romans who destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Regardless of what troops they used, they were Roman generals operating under the orders of the Roman Senate in Rome. And so it was Rome that destroyed Jerusalem, and it's someone from Rome who is going to be the Antichrist. Furthermore, I pointed out, and he's never given a sufficient uh, uh, answer to this, that any Muslim, any Muslim, who would declare himself to be God, which we know the Antichrist is going to do in the middle of the Tribulation, any Muslim who would declare himself to be God would be killed immediately by the Muslims themselves because they believe that there is only one God, and that God is Allah, and they consider, uh, for example, Christians to be apostate because we believe that God exists in three persons. Uh, and certainly any person who declares himself to be God is going to be a, an enemy of Islam, even if he's a Muslim. So. When I challenged him on that, his response was, well, I just think he will be such a great deceiver, and he will deceive the Muslims to the point that they will be willing to accept him. I think that's utter nonsense. Third, it says that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel, and the, the implication of the whole thing is he's going to guarantee the peace of Israel in the Middle East for the first three and a half years of the Tribulation. No, Israel's not going to put their trust in some Muslim antichrist, some Muslim who's going to guarantee their peace. That's just not going to happen. So this whole concept that he might be a Muslim, I think is just Alice in Wonderland, and uh, is uh, of no value, uh, no validity whatsoever.
2: Yeah, and the results there were 17 no, 1 yes, and 4 possibles. And, and I like that, Dr. Reagan, that you have people that will debate back and forth and all just agree one way. uh, And the other one was, will the Antichrist be a Jew?
0: Well, that's a good question because uh, probably throughout, uh, not probably, uh, throughout the 2,000 years of Christianity, the vast overwhelming majority of people who wrote about Bible prophecy, uh, probably 98% of them, said the Antichrist will be a Jew. But a lot of that was uh, simply motivated uh, by anti Semitism. Uh, You have to understand uh, that most Christians are not aware of the fact of the intense and horrible anti-Semitism that characterized the church for almost 2,000 years. Uh, It started early, uh, within 100 years of the establishment of the church. There were people, church leaders like Justin Martyr, who were saying, uh, we should not have anything to do with the Jews. They are Christ killers. God has washed his hands of them. He has no purpose left for them. The church has replaced Israel. And uh, they... Taught people to hate the Jews all through the Middle Ages. The Church taught people to hate the Jews. Uh, Martin Luther, who I admire in many ways for standing up against the Catholic Church in, in uh, the 1500s, and uh, getting people back to the Bible. Nonetheless, right before he died, wrote the most anti-Semitic pamphlet, I think, that's ever been written in history, in which he said that the Jews should be put in concentration camps, that, that their houses and synagogues should be burned, their Talmuds should be burned, on and on and on he went. And in fact, when Hitler was rising to power in Mein Kampf, He wrote that the man he most admired in all of history was Martin Luther because he had given him the blueprint for dealing with the Jewish people. That's the reason the Jews consider the Holocaust to be a Christian event because, uh, in fact, at the Nuremberg war crime trials, the war criminals stood up and said all we did was what Martin Luther said to do. What did we do wrong? Uh, So the church has always had this strong spirit of anti-Semitism and therefore they would of course identify the uh, the antichrist as a Jew but uh, the antichrist is not going to be a Jew uh, he's going to be a Gentile and I, there's many reasons I, I believe that one of them is certainly in uh, the book of revelation where the the antichrist is introduced over in uh, what is it chapter 13 where he's introduced and it refers to him as coming up out of the sea this uh, there uh, there are Symbols used in the book of Revelation, but those symbols have a a literal meaning, and we can look at how these symbols are used in the rest of the Bible and interpret them here. And the reference to the sea, the symbol of the sea is always used as a symbol of Gentile nations, whereas coming up out of the land would represent a Jew, coming up out of the land being the land of Israel. So I think this is an indication that he will be a Gentile and the Jews, uh, but others have said, well, the problem with that is that if he is a Gentile, how in the world will the Jews ever receive him as their Messiah? Uh, well, they won't. Uh, he's not going to be received as their Messiah. He will be looked upon as a political Messiah and that he will guarantee the peace of Israel. But when he comes to Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation, And I think he comes for the purpose of dedicating the new temple that has just been built. And he walks into that temple, and he declares himself to be God. The moment he does that, the Jewish people overwhelmingly reject him. They don't accept him as Messiah at all. They revolt against him, and then he tries to kill and annihilate the entire Jewish population. So I don't think he's going to be a Jew at all. I think he's going to be a Gentile uh, and not a Jew and not a Muslim.
2: Yeah. And and the results there were 15 said no, 2 said yes, and you had 5 that said possibly. We are talking with Dr. David Reagan about his new book, The Man of Lawlessness. Stay with us. We'll be back with more right after this.
0: Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.
2: You're listening to Crosspoint. Welcome back. I'm Mark Taylor. And with me today, Dr. David Reagan has joined us. His latest work, The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist in the Tribulation. Dr. Reagan, you've done a lot with your ministry. You've done a lot of books. This is your latest. But people want to find out more about Lamb and Lion Ministries and your broadcast on television and radio. Tell them how they can do that.
0: Well, the best way is to go to our website at lamblion, that's L-A-M-B, L-I-O-N, lamblion.com. And uh, we have a fellow there, Nathan Jones, who's on there eight hours a day, and he can talk with you and help you. Uh, we have all kinds of resources there. And another course uh, away is through our magazine called uh, The Lamplighter, uh, which is free of charge. It comes out every other, every other month, six issues a year, although we just published a special edition on the pandemic. And then another way would be our television program called Christ in Prophecy that's broadcast on six national Christian networks and is available on nine websites. And so uh, there's a a lot of outreach there that uh, people can find us. And and if you can't remember any of that, just get on there and type my name into uh, uh, Google David Reagan, and it'll lead you to our website.
2: I think another good thing you point out in the book, again, it's in part, so part three of the book talks about the persistent wars of the end times. You kind of take the different wars we read about in Scripture and things like this, and you kind of lay them out of how they just all fit into prophecy.
0: Yes, you're talking about the wars of the end times? Right,
2: right. Well, you call the part three of the book the persistent wars yes. of the prison.
0: The reason I wrote that chapter is because uh, every time a war breaks out in the Middle East, people write and say, is that the war of Armageddon? And uh, this is a concept that is held both by Christians and non-Christians. You know, there's been movies called Armageddon, and and we we find secular writers always writing about Armageddon. So in both the secular world and the Christian world, there is a concept that there is one end-time war, and that war is the War of Armageddon. So every time a war breaks out in the Middle East, somebody wants to say, is that the War of Armageddon? So I decided to devote a full chapter to the Wars of the Tribulation there are more than one more than one war during the tribulation and in fact the armageddon is not a war at all armageddon is where all the armies of the world uh, gather uh, under the leadership of the antichrist uh, at the end of the tribulation they gather there in the valley of armageddon And Jesus returns, and he doesn't send an army out to fight them. There's no battle that goes on. All he does is he comes back to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives, and it says in Zechariah 14, he speaks a supernatural word. And when he speaks that supernatural word, the armies, the millions of armies are instantly destroyed. It says their eyes will melt in their sockets, their tongues will melt in their mouths, their skin will drop from their bodies, and there will be blood as deep as a horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Uh, it, it's just going to be an instantaneous thing. After all, this is the one who spoke and created the whole world, and he's going to speak, and instantly uh, all of these armies are going to be destroyed. So there's no battle at whatsoever. But there are battles during the period of tribulation. There's a whole series of wars, and I give a survey of those in uh, the, uh, that chapter. And in fact, This has been one of my most popular teachings. We have a video on this, and many people have requested that video over and over. But what I do is I just give you sort of an overview of all the wars. And In fact, uh, there's nine wars that are mentioned in in the uh, uh, period of the end times, and most people are shocked to find that out. Uh, One is the War of Psalm 83, where the nations that have a common border with Israel fight Israel and Israel completely defeats them and then following that is going to be the war of uh, uh, of Gog and Magog what i think happens is that when israel defeats all the nations that have a common border with it those nations then appeal to their uh, to russia to come down to the middle east and and to their rescue. And that's what the Russians would love to do, somebody to invite them into the Middle East so they can come down there and not only defeat Israel, but take over the oil fields. So Russia will then come in. And it says in the Battle of Gog and Magog, described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that it describes Russia coming with a whole host of allies, and not a single one, not a single one of those allies has a common border with Israel. So first we have the Battle of the interior of those who have a common border with Israel, Psalm 83. Then we have the battle with those who do not have a common border, and that's the battle of Gog and Magog. And it says that those armies will be supernaturally destroyed by God on the mountains of Israel and destroyed in such a way that even the Jewish people will know that God gave them the victory and not the uh, military forces of Israel. And it will cause many Jewish hearts to turn to God probably causing the hearts of the 144,000, they're going to be sealed at the beginning of the Tribulation. They'll turn their hearts to God. Then it says there's going to be the uh, war of the sealed judgments, and then that's going to morph into the war of the trumpet judgments, and then it says that in the middle of the Tribulation there's going to be a war in the heavens between the armies of Michael and uh, the archangel of God, and satan and they will fight and and satan will be cast to earth then it says there's going to be a war of satan against the jewish people and then it talks about the war of armageddon which is really a supernatural war where god just speaks the word and then it talks about the war that's going to occur at the end of the millennium uh, at the end of the millennium, Satan will be let loose, and he will lead nations against Jerusalem, and they will again be supernaturally destroyed by uh, by God. So there's a whole series of wars that are going to go on during that period of time, and not just the War of Armageddon.
2: Another part of the book, the location of the Antichrist headquarters, you talk about speculation about Babylon, and you say the war in Iraq was not the origin or of speculation that ancient Babylon might be rebuilt and served as a headquarters of the Antichrist. You then say yes. the, the census of opinion among Bible prophecy experts was that the mystery Babylon of Revelation chapter 17 and the Babylon of the great Revelation of 18 were both references to Rome. Today that opinion has radically shifted, and the consensus now is that these terms differ in ancient Babylon. Now tell us about that.
0: There's a lot of difference of opinion on that, and I, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, uh, but there's a lot of difference of opinion. Those who take the position that it's going to be Babylon, uh, they have some really good arguments uh, for that. Uh, Babylon is always presented in the scriptures as the epitome of evil, of the epitome of blasphemy against God, and and it's always presented uh, in contradistinction to Jerusalem. It says in the book of Isaiah that it says point blank that Babylon will be destroyed by the Medes and Persians, that it will ultimately cease to become a, a city at all, that it will never be rebuilt. And so I believe that when the book of Revelation reveals that the Antichrist headquarters is going to be in Babylon, that it's talking about Rome. Now, the reason I believe that is because it doesn't say it's going to be in Babylon. It says it's going to be in mystery Babylon. Now, that's very significant, very significant. You have to keep in mind that John, at the time he wrote the book of Revelation, was a prisoner of Rome. He was on the Isle of Patmos, a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He could not write a book in which he was critical of Rome in any way. I mean, if they found that, and he was writing against Rome, he would be beheaded immediately. So he had to put it in symbolic language. So he said, this headquarters of the Antichrist will be mystery Babylon. Now... The thing that's interesting about that is that we know for certain from first-century writings of the church fathers that that was a term that was used by the church fathers to refer to Rome. When they would refer to Rome, they would refer to it as Mystery Babylon. And Peter does that in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 13, he ends his letter by saying... She who is in Babylon, speaking of the church there, she who is in Babylon sends greetings to you, and so does my son, Mark. Now, that's interesting because Peter was in Rome when he wrote that letter. He was in Rome. He was not in Babylon. Babylon didn't even exist at that time. It was gone. And yet he refers to the fact that he is writing from Babylon. So it's it's very obvious that the first century Christians who were under constant persecution from Babylon uh, uh, they they referred they referred uh, uh, I mean constant uh, persecution from Rome they referred to Rome as Babylon or Mystery Babylon. So I believe also because it says that the Antichrist is going to come from those who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD the Romans I believe that Rome is going to be the headquarters of the Antichrist, and not Babylon. Now, some of those who argue for Babylon also say, well, you know, Babylon is being rebuilt. It is not being rebuilt. Under Saddam Hussein, what he did is he went in there and tried to reconstruct a couple of buildings as tourist items, uh, that people could come as tourists and see some of what the glory of Babylon looked like. But even that has been given up since uh, the time of the war. They don't have the money to spend on that. So if you take an aerial photograph of Babylon today, it is a barren piece of land.
2: Yeah. Now, part four of the book is called Escape of the Church, and it says, Living with Inspectancy. And it says, This is what I have concluded from my study of prophecy, and I therefore live looking for the rapture to occur any moment. I therefore do not believe that there is one prophecy in the Bible that must be fulfilled before the Lord appears for His church. He could appear at any moment. And you believe that right now we could be out of here.
0: Absolutely. And boy, I tell you, when you look at what's happening in the world today, I believe it more than I've ever believed it before. Uh, There are two things. First of all, when people are asked what is the most important sign of the times, they normally say the re- reestablishment of Israel, and that's that's very that's probably the most important of all the individual signs that have occurred in our lifetime. The reestablishment of the nation of Israel, because all of end time Bible prophecy focuses on the nation of Israel. But here's the mo- a more important sign. A sign more important than that is the the sign of every convergence. Summed up in one word, convergence. All the signs, all of them, the signs of nature, the signs of society, the signs of technology, the signs of world politics, the signs of Israel, all for the first time ever are converging. They're coming together, and they've never done that before. And so the convergence of signs, I think, is, is the most important sign that we are literally on the on the threshold of the tribulation. Another thing that, that, uh, and, that and for that reason, I believe, that the pandemic that is going on right now is a remedial judgment of God. When God gets ready to pour out his wrath, he always does two things. First, he raises up prophetic voices to call people to repentance. And if they don't do that, then he sends remedial judgments. And the remedial judgments come to call people to repentance while the prophets are still calling them to repentance. And then if they ignore both the prophets and the remedial judgments, he pours out his wrath. Well, God has been sending prophet after prophet after prophet, uh, uh warning that we are in rebellion against God and that we are to repent and uh, uh, ask God for forgiveness. And we have turned our deaf ear, both here in America and around the world. I wrote a whole book called God's Prophetic Voices to America, uh, and I identified some of these people who God has raised up to call this nation to repentance. And then... Uh, God has also sent remedial judgments on this nation and around the world, but now he has sent a remedial judgment on the entire world. And I think the purpose of this remedial judgment is to call the entire world to repentance. He's calling us to repentance. And if we refuse, if we turn a deaf ear, I think he is going to move forward uh, to uh, unleashing his wrath in the period of the tribulation. So I think we are living on borrowed time. You know, Mark, recently I, had, I was talking to a fellow, and we were talking about the Bible, and he was talking about the uh, Jesus' life, and he said to me, You know, David, wouldn't it have been exciting to live in Bible times? And I said, Brother, we are living in Bible times. We are privilege to live in a time where we're seeing prophecies that were made over 2,000 years ago being fulfilled before our very eyes. And that's exciting. And the problem is that most people know so little about Bible prophecy, they're not even aware of how significant the times are that we're living in. Let me give you an example. In the book of Jeremiah it says two times, two times, That when history is over and done with, the Jewish people will look back on their history and they will no longer swear by the God who delivered them from Egyptian captivity, but they will swear instead by the God who regathered them from the four corners of the earth. That same God. The point it's making is that when the Jews look back on their history, they're going to consider their regathering from the four corners of the world to be a greater miracle than their deliverance from Egyptian captivity. And Mark, you and I and the listeners are living in the time when God is performing that great miracle among the Jewish people. It began in the 1890s, by 1900 there were 40,000 Jews in Israel, today there's almost 7 million, more than half of all the Jews in the world are now back in Israel, and they continue to come, and we are witnessing that ourselves, the fulfillment of these ancient Bible prophecies, one after another.
2: Well, there is so much in this book, and uh... Uh, you know the purpose of the tribulation, on and on. You've got it in here, David. We're out of time, but tell people the man of lawlessness, the antichrist in the tribulation. Tell people how they can find out more about this book.
0: Well, they can do that by uh, going to our website at lamb l a m b lion l o n lamblion dot com. Uh, we have a store on on the website where they can order the book, or they can call. Uh, our office. Uh, the phone number of the ministry is 972 736 3567. 972 736 3567. And we have somebody there Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time.
2: All right. Well, David, again, as always, thank you for being with us here on Crosspoint.
0: Thank you, Mark, for having me as a guest.
2: Good interview today with Dr. David Reagan, as always. Uh, very good Bible scholar, understands a lot about prophecy. You can learn a lot. Hey, he gets all of his information from the very book that I'm holding my hand right now, the Bible. You need to get into this book as well. You need to study this book it now more than ever because the times are coming to an end uh, as we know them. Things are changing. We've got real issues coming in our nation that have just begun. And uh, these are going to be serious situations and put us in serious situations And so, folks, you need to know what this Bible says because it is the Word of God, and it will accurately direct your life if you will follow it because the Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever need to be following. Be sure to join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor.
1: Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri 64850 or by email crosspoint at KNEO.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at knEO.org.
0: Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.